You're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Tax Wrap podcast, episode 75. Um, now, today, we're going to talk about websites. Um, um, how we interact with the world, as everyone knows, is very much conducted online these days. Websites are everywhere. And for most businesses, having an online presence is basically essential. I mean, not your local chippy or plumber, but for every other business, certainly for accounting firms, of course. Uh, but having a plain vanilla or a complex website is very much dependent on the type of business. I mean, is a shopping cart needed or is it merely a way to publish contact details? Of course, these variables mean the costs of having a website vary considerably. Now, until now, or until recently, the tax treatment of these costs seems to have been based, but I'll be corrected on this, of course, seems to have been based on the general rule of being able to make claims for spending that leads to making accessible income. But the tax office has helpfully very recently issued better guidance on this issue. And joining me uh, today is Letty Choi and Dennis Smirchansky, and um, we're going to find out all about it. So um, why did the ATO issue this draft ruling? Well, way back in 2001, there was actually another tax ruling that talked about whether commercial website expenditure was deductible. Uh, but that was withdrawn in August 2009, uh, basically because it became outdated and wasn't reflecting the commercial realities of the time. Mm. Look, most of our listeners who are aged at least 15 would be quite well aware that between the late 90s, when that first ruling would have been drafted, and the present day, uh, the e-commerce landscape has really changed quite a lot. So there's been a bit of umming and eyeing from the ATO over the past five or six years, mm. but finally they have come out with this draft ruling, which will be the basis for the binding guidance. Right. So we've just been hanging in the wind since, what, 2009, basically? Pretty much. Okay. Now, the ironic thing is that even though we've needed this new ruling to reflect current-day commercial realities, the actual fact is that the principles are as hot as, as old as, well, the 97 Act, really, okay. or the 1936 Act, even, uh, because at the end of the day, it's really looking at principles of revenue versus capital. In other words, if website-related costs are of a revenue nature, generally speaking, you'll be able, the business will be able to take a tax deduction for those costs in the year incurred. But if those expenses are of a capital nature, then either they'll be depreciable or else on CTT accounts. Okay, so you, so what we're talking about there is like when you develop a website. Say you start a, you start a new business, so you want to get a new website, so you have to develop it. And after you get going, then you have to maintain it. Is that what we're talking about, the development and the maintenance? You've hit the nail on the head, Steve. Right. So in all, if you're acquiring a website or developing a website, and this very much excludes outsourcing the work to someone who's a bit more tech-savvy than you, for example, then the costs that you spend to actually develop or acquire this website, this initial website, is going to be on capital account. Mm. And this is because this website really lends to the profit-yielding structure of your business. It's a permanent fixture. It is not something that's going to uh, just come and go. Right, okay. And uh, how how is the capital and revenue dealt with? Um, the distinction between uh, capital expenses and revenue expenses um, appears similar to what happens with um, real estate, where the distinction is uh, where the distinction is between uh, improvements and repairs. There are certain similarities between the principles applied by the commissioner. Essentially, um, 
the expenses which are incurred in order to expand or improve the website or in capital account. Uh, also expenses which are incurred in order to prolong the useful life of the website are also on capital. On the other hand, um, expenses uh, which are recurring in nature and just relate to the um, maintenance of the website and uh, its usability tend to be on the revenue nature as um, as stated in the ruling. Okay. Yes. And so in terms of some simple practical examples, if for example a business was to update its website occasionally because they're changing the price of an item or an item's going on sale or they're just changing, uh, you know, opening hours detail or fixing up a typo or something like that, then those would generally be on revenue accounts okay. and fully deductible. However, if they, if the expenditure is for changing a simple website to including online shopping functionality or to integrate something that completely changes the functionality of the website or adds an extra business dimension that is able to be performed on that website, then generally speaking, that's going to be on capital account because you are really changing the asset structure of that yeah. website. Well, it makes sense. I was, um, it's probably hard perhaps in the past for people to grasp that a, a website is an asset uh, and it's not a physical thing that you can touch and wear out, etc. But uh, that makes sense, what you just said. Sure. And I... Dennis, I understand that you have some comments and even a practical example you'd like to discuss. Um, yeah, the ruling actually contains 21 examples of, of different situations and uh, how the commissioner's view would apply to each of them. For instance, in terms of um, maintenance and modification distinction, example 12 um, is useful. It uh, shows a situation where the company outsourced the maintenance and upgrades of their existing website and um, there was a project undertaken by the uh, IT companies that manages the website and it says here that um, on the quantum quantum of resources spent on the maintenance the and the back-end upgrade the expenses um, are um, on the capital account in that instance. Um, now, unfortunately, there is still a little bit of uncertainty um, in, in terms of clear distinction, and the ruling clearly states that it's a, it is a matter of fact and degree whether a particular expense is, is maintenance or an upgrade. For instance, what would happen if, um, if the backend systems supporting the website are upgraded so it can um, increase its throw output so that can more users can can use it? Is it would it be um, a maintenance or an upgrade? Because ultimately, more and more people will be connected to the internet and using services. Sure, mm. and that question is like saying, well, the proverbial "how long is a piece of string?" <laughs> at the end of the day, the business has to look at what is the nature of the work that's being done, and is it really making some sort of change to the permanent profit yielding structure or the functions of the website, or is it simply tweaking it just to maintain its usability without making yeah. substantial changes. And you, were you saying earlier, it's an if, if you outsource some of these costs? Yeah. At the end of the day, it does. It, the issue isn't who does the work. I mean, you could hire right. a team of, you know, flash IT developers right. in-house or you could be outsourcing to the mob down the road. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's all about the nature of the work that's been performed. The, um, one question that's always brought up is about software, like in-house software, I understand, is a, 
a term that's brought up a lot in this in this area. Is, is there any change to that approach? Uh, in-house software is something that is tax uh, that is depreciable for tax purposes. Oh, right. So there's actual legislative definition of it. But in summary, in-house software is pretty much computer software that the taxpayer or the business acquires, develops, or gets another entity to develop for them, which is for the taxpayer to use in performing the functions for which the software was developed, right. and which, again, you can't take an outright deduction for, um, and it's really subject to depreciation rules. So this would include, for example, software that's integrated into the business website um, that helps the business to be able to interact with the user, uh, but it does not include, for example, software that's available for sale on the business's oh, website. Yeah. It's basically not something that is a separate asset on its own. So so, so you could have, uh, what about shopping carts? Is that uh, an example of in-house software? Uh, the shopping cart would be um, part of the in-house software because it, um, it essentially uh, provides the thing the functionality to the website and enables customers to to make orders and um, to perform other transactions. Relevantly, the ruling uh, provides example number 19 in relation to in-house software and how it applies to the mobile app development. Oh, yeah, mobile app, of course, which is developed in a big way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of companies actually um, produce their own uh, mobile apps to... to um, to very different ways customers can interact with them. So the example 19 um, illustrates how a company develops an app um, to be used on mobile devices. And um, it says that expenditure in developing this app is uh, considered to be in-house software. So since it falls within the definition, the company has to use uh, in-house software rules um, to um, write off this this expense uh, over a period of time. Right. And that's a very uh, good example, Dennis, that you picked up. Uh, in, in particular, that example is specifically talking about a bank that has a banking app through which the customer can actually do banking transactions on their mobile devices. And therefore, it, it is considered to be in-house software because it is software that's been developed by the bank or for the bank in order to help its customers to interface with the bank. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very competitive market, of course, all the online things that are happening out there. I'm, uh, I mean, we all use apps, so, I mean, what you're saying is that if, when I do my banking with my mobile phone, which I don't do that much, but um, I know that they're, they're probably writing off this uh, the cost of that app. Also, I was going to um, ask about domain names. I mean, I know that they, people, people pay thousands sometimes for the right domain name because it gives them a competitive edge, et cetera, whatever they think. Absolutely. No point thinking about the app if you haven't even got your website set right. up. Isn't that right? So example 21 in the ruling is a good read as well for our listeners who are interested. It talks about domain names. And the general gist of it is that when you acquire a domain name, generally speaking, that's going to be on capital account is generally treated as a CGT asset and those costs will go into the cost base of that asset. Um, however, if you're paying sort of, you know, registration fees and annual fees and the like, then that's going to be deductible in the year incurred. Ah, right. Okay. Um, look, thanks to Letty and Dennis again. Um, that's very informative. Now, listeners, by the way, that tax ruling is 2016 slash D1. If, we, if you want us to cover a topic on our podcast, uh, send us a, an email at podcast at taxpayer.com.au or reach out via Twitter at hashtag taxwrap. 
Um, thanks, Letty, and thanks, Dennis. And we'll see you next week, listeners.